Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Mastering the Room, brought to you by the Graduate School of Political Management at the George Washington University. I'm your host, Steve Pierce. Every episode on the show, we'll sit down with some of the brightest minds in politics, advocacy, and communications. They'll give us a behind-the-scenes look inside the room where it happens and offer their tips for how you can not only get in the room, but master it just like they did. New episodes drop every other Monday, so be sure to subscribe to Mastering the Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred podcast listening app may be. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating or review. Just a few seconds of your time can really help us spread the word and reach more listeners just like you. And if you want to learn more about GSPM, feel free to check out our website at www.gspm.gwu.edu. And now, without further ado, here's a brand new episode of Mastering the Room. Hello and welcome to Mastering the Room. I'm your host, Steve Pierce. Every week we take a behind-the-scenes look inside the room where it happens, guided by some of the brightest minds in politics, advocacy, and communications. This week on the show, we're joined by Aaron Pickering, an alumnus of the Strategic Public Relations Program at GSPM and a brand strategist with executive-level experience in strategic planning, campaign development, and integrated marketing. Over the course of his career, Aaron has worked with several organizations in a variety of communications capacity, including nonprofits like Equal Justice Works, the Direct Care Alliance, and the Fair Labor Association, in-house at companies like Ceres Inc., and in a consulting role with a variety of corporate clients through his work at Cone, a major communications agency focused on corporate social responsibility. Most recently, he served as Director of Brand Strategy at FIRST, a nonprofit organization that focuses on inspiring young people's interest and participation in science and technology, as well as serving as an adjunct professor of public relations here at GSPM, where he continues to pass on the lessons he's learned to the next generation of communicators. We're thankful to have him here with us to share a little bit of his wisdom today. Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Happy to be with you, Steve. Well, as all of our listeners know, we always start at the same place in this podcast, which is at the beginning. Um, so where does the story of Aaron Pickering begin? Where were you born? Uh, what, what were you like growing up? What was, what was young Aaron Pickering like as a kid? <laughs> Answering that gives me a, a little bit of a, a scare. But, um, you know, I, I grew up in a small town um, in Dartmouth, Massachusetts, and um, had always, always just been a writer. I, I used to think I'd be, you know, one of those great journalists and studied Bob Woodward and, and was fascinated by what it took to tell great stories. So I, I uh, grew up writing and, and dreaming of being a, a journalist. And um, I, I attended University of Massachusetts at Dartmouth and um, really started to look more closely at the power that words have to drive people to take action. And so I, I found a really amazing major at the university uh, in rhetorical studies, which is something I hadn't heard of before and became really fascinated with the idea of not arguing for the sake of it, but how do you use words um, to change minds and drive action? Um, and so it was really, you know, an amazing program at UMass Dartmouth, um, but I wasn't quite satisfied, but we'll get into that in a moment. And luckily I had found George Washington University uh, along the way. Uh, so yeah, what was your your path into actually working in communications? You 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 were a writer. You said growing up that was kind of your your superpower. You studied uh, rhetorical studies at at UMass Dartmouth. 
how do you actually transition kind of what I assume was a fairly uh, academic uh, discipline somewhat removed from the actual application of, of, of communications? How do you move from that into, you know, figuring out that this is the thing you want to do with your life and, and getting a start uh, in this field? It, you know, that's a great question, Steve. It really, it really kind of happened organically for me. I started in knowing that I love to communicate. I love to write. It was really my biggest and let's call it, let's be real, <laughs> my only strength. And so I found ways to use that. So I started in college at UMass Dartmouth. I was working in all different aspects of communications. I wanted to try it all. So I worked in video production at an amazing startup in Providence for a while, um, working on production for some new and emerging um, networks, which was really great. I interned at radio stations um, up and down the South Coast, um, hit music stations and, and radio talk shows. Um, I interned at local newspapers. And so by the time I had finished my undergraduate studies, I had already gotten, you know, kind of my hands dirty with all different aspects of of typical of what really makes up public relations and broader communications from a from a career uh, vantage point. I look back at that time and I'm really thankful for the opportunities that I really stitched together, um, knowing not exactly what I wanted to do with my life, but knowing what I was good at. Um, I think was really important. So I, I found ways to dabble in, in radio, in TV, in print, um, knowing, you know, like I said, not exactly where I would go with those with those experiences. But um, looking back today, it was really putting me on exactly the path I needed to be on. You find your way to George Washington University around 2007. How do you, how do you wind up at GSPM? How how do you how do you find out about it and, and make a decision that this is this is a thing that you want to do? You want to attend attend graduate school here? Well, you know, it's funny now these days. I think folks would be surprised to think that a, a flyer hanging on a wall <laughs> um, would actually uh, do anything. You know, it's a really kind of antiquated way of marketing to some people, but it really can still work. And so, I was wandering the halls of UMass Dartmouth. Um, you know, one semester, I think I was wrapping up my sophomore year. It's around 2005, and there was a, a, a flyer for a semester in Washington program at GW. And the semester in Washington program is how I, um, you know, really began to understand um, that all of the skills and the experiences that I had pieced together for myself were actually driving me toward a program that um, would teach students how to understand the way that words and communications could be used to drive change around major issues, public policy issues, um, could really start to move the needle and change the national and global dialogue on issues that matter. And I really wanted, you know, it felt like an aha moment when I saw that flyer. And so I, I took one of the little, one of the last little um, tear-offs and I applied for a semester in Washington at GW in 2005. And I was accepted into that program. And so through the semester in Washington, you spend about two or three months in living in Washington, D.C., on campus at GW, um, getting to know some of your best lifelong friends. And those uh, many of those people I'm friends with today, they've gone on to run major political campaigns. 
Um, and, and we have, you know, some text threads here and there, even today, talking about the future state of politics and our, um, the administration and what's in store for the future. So um, I met lifelong friends. I really began to understand that to, to study public relations um, in Washington, D.C. was really the only way to study it for what I wanted to do with my life, which really had started to take shape at that point. For the first time, I understood that I could use public relations, I could use communication to really have an impact. And, um, and Semester in Washington taught me that. Uh, while I was there, I got to intern at the America's Promise Alliance, which was an organization run by Colin Powell and his wife um, that really helped to improve communities and took a grassroots approach to improving people's lives uh, by strengthening parent and, and young people relationships. So I, under, I was hooked on GW and I went back to finish my studies at UMass Dartmouth and just was chomping at the bit to get back. So um, back in 2005, 2007, there was not a strategic public relations major at GW. And I was so hooked on the idea, though, that I stayed in touch with, um, you know, people like Larry Parnell and Don Bates and others who were early kind of founders of the program at GW. And they kept saying, we're working on a program. You could be part of the first class. It's not approved yet. <laughs> and so there was a lot of anticipation around the launch of the strategic PR program. And before it was even 100% guaranteed, I decided to move to D.C. and wait for that program to be ready. Um, and so I accepted a job at Lockheed Martin that would at least bring me to D.C. while I waited to see if the strategic PR graduate program would, in fact, be launched. And it was. So it was launched on time. And I was part of the first I was the first part of the first class, excuse me, to go through the program um, at GW. And it was incredible. So what was your GSPM experience like? I imagine, you know, you're you're still involved with very involved with GSPM. I imagine, you know. In 2007, as part of that first uh, strategic public relations class, it was slightly different than it is for for students uh, there now, but probably the same in a lot of ways. What was what was that experience like? What did you, what did you enjoy uh, enjoy most about about your GSPM experience? I you know I think what I enjoyed most Steve, was walking into the room that first day for you know a, a, the first graduate course I would ever take in strategic PR and meeting people who were working at the Pew Research Center and at Edelman and on the Hill. And everyone had come to this graduate program believing in the power of PR to drive change in Washington, D.C. and beyond. And so to be surrounded by people who had a similar experience um, as I did in many ways, um, but also very different experiences, but had known that they wanted to do something with their passion for communications and being surrounded by those people um, was the biggest value. And so whether we were meeting on nights or weekends or attending a, a media relations strategy course or political socialization, we were all there and fascinated by the academic side, but just really itching to to transition and translate that academic uh, nature of the program into a practical, real-world um, working lives. And GW was really the place to do that. Every professor I had was a professional, um, an established professional with an impressive career and background. And so nothing we studied at GW really took the form of, of you know, textbook learning. It was very much about applying lessons learned um, to our day-to-day -day jobs. And I, so I think those are the two, the two pieces of my GW experience that um, stand out the most. 
Now, during the days at this time, because obviously the program is, is, is at night, during the days you were, at least at the beginning, working at Lockheed, how were you able to apply what you were learning at night in the classroom you know, to your day job? Actually take the, take the learning from the classroom and, and get hands-on with it and, and put it into practice uh, in what you were doing every day. Well, you know, I mean, learning at Lockheed Martin, I didn't have as much of an opportunity to apply the lessons I was learning day to day. So that's actually one of the reasons I moved on so that I'd be able to build and develop um, global strategic public relations campaigns. My role at Lockheed was much more um, focused on proposal development. I was a proposal analyst. And so I was so um, committed to being a public relations professional that I, I quickly um, moved on to an organization that would allow me to do that. And so um, it was a very, very kind of immediate contribution um, to my my career that GW made. I um, developed a advocacy campaign in support of the College Cost Reduction and Access Act um, for my employer, which was um, a nonprofit called Equal Justice Works, formerly the National Association of Public Interest Law. And we worked with attorneys across the country who were advocating on behalf of um, underserved and underprivileged communities, uh, advocating um, in support of LGBTQ rights, um, racial justice and equality. And so I was able to develop a campaign that actually helped move the needle and pass that act and um, support public interest lawyers in taking advantage of key provisions of the resolution. So um, it was an immediate, uh, it had an immediate impact on my career. What would you say is the, the most valuable thing uh, you took away from your time at, at GSPM that has helped you succeed in your career, not just back then when you were you know, actively in the program, but you know, in the years since as you've gone on and had a bunch of different jobs, um, what's been the most valuable uh, either lesson or skill or piece of learning that you took away from, from your time at GSPM in the, in the years since? In an attempt to, to keep it short, I'll oversimplify it, but it really is about everything you do being deliberate, having there being a strategy behind every move that you make professionally. Um, GW taught us, especially in, in the GSPM program focused on strategic public relations, that you know many, many people throughout my career have asked me to put out a press release. <laughs> and that's not what it's all about, right? Yeah. And so I think that that having the vantage point that words are power and that PR can drive change um, was really the key lesson that I always knew in the back of my mind, you know, going back to my undergrad days, but that uh, my experience at GSPM really brought that to the forefront. Um, every action that you take as a public relations professional has um, both consequences, good and bad, and um, can can have meaning. At this point in your career, you know, you've been involved in the process of hiring and promoting people within the, the various organizations in which you've worked. Can you just briefly discuss the skills you look for that makes one candidate, you know, maybe more competitive than others? And how, how does GSPM help students to build those kinds of, those kinds of skills? I think this skills that I look for most when hiring folks, um, and this has been consistent in a number of different capacities, but especially in the agency environment, which I know is really appealing to many students now in the GSPM program, 
is really a passion for what you do. I, I think number one, you know, as corny as that can sound, that you are passionate not about the organization necessarily that you'd like to join, but that you're passionate about communicating, you're passionate about being strategic, a strategic contributor, and that you really want to use your skills to drive change. And so I think one of the things that I became really frustrated about in my own experience um, in the job market over the years has been a focus of, you know, hiring managers and HR professionals in evaluating your commitment and passion for the organization, right? Why do you want to work at the organization? Well, you know, I can find a reason to be excited about working for almost any organization. I say almost, and I'll underline that. Um, But I really think it's about, are you a communicator? Are you a professional whose career has been carefully targeted toward putting you in a place where you can contribute in a meaningful way to a cause, an issue, or an organization's mission? And so uh, for me, it's really around, do you demonstrate a passion for being a communicator? And have you built and, and, and participated in experiences that support you um, becoming a well-rounded contributor with a very diverse background? And you, 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 went, you mentioned that, you know, you, you, you left Lockheed Martin, you went to work at Equal Justice Works where you were a, a senior communications specialist and you were there for a few years. And then you moved on to, to the Direct Care Alliance as a communications and engagement manager there before transitioning to, to the Fair Labor Association as a communications manager. And that's really the first stretch of your career all here in D.C. Um, what did, and it takes place over about five years or so. What did those five years teach you that you've taken with you in, in the stops you've made since? Because those, those early jobs, um, they can be very formative in kind of setting the groundwork uh, and, and giving a foundation uh, for, for, the, for, for a career that, that spools out after that. So what, what did those early, those early years uh, here in D.C. do for you? You know, Steve, that's a really good observation on your part. So thank you for that. Those those early career years are incredibly formative. So that five years in D.C. was really around learning and getting experience in all aspects of communication. So in, in different capacities, um, you know, in D.C., I was some days I was a one man show. You know, I was I was writing, editing, sending emails, updating websites, building social accounts training lawyers on how to use social media, for example, pitching media left, right, and center around the world. And it really um, taught me the value, again, of not just um, focusing on tactical outputs, but really always being able to take those day-to-day tactics and ladder them back up to a strategy and not being afraid to get my hands dirty, um, you know, I think is is a really big lesson. I think you know, without naming specific generations, I think it's too easy to say, you know, millennials or Gen Xers or, or whatever behave a certain way. So I won't go there. But I think um, in my generation alone, I saw a lot of people that were so eager to be promoted and to, um, you know, evolve their careers that they kind of rushed through that five years. And for me, it was really important to, to dig into it and, and, and almost get consumed by it. And, um, and throw every ounce of energy that you have at um, learning the different facets of the career that you want to be in, right? And so, um, as an example, you know, today, uh, even managing a team of 14, you know, communicators and marketers in different parts of the world um, and moving on in the next week to a new role, um, I, I still um, am 
training people on how to use social media and I'm still pitching media day to day. Um, and uh, so I guess what I would say is titles, uh, titles don't matter as much as you think they do and give it your all uh, to take every lesson you have um, and use it for your advantage. In 2013, you, you take a job as senior manager of communications with Ceres, where you serve as lead for corporate investor communications for an organization that, that works with businesses and, and financial institutions to advance environmental issues and build a, a sustainable global economy. You also moved to Boston to take that job. Uh, was getting back to Massachusetts a, a goal for you in, in kind of making that move? And, and what was the biggest adjustment in, in stepping out of DC and into this new job at a, at a different type of organization? You know, at the time, Steve, it was, it, yes, my goal was to, to come back home, as it were. And, you know, they a lot of folks talk about DC as being transient. And, you know, my group of friends at the time, everyone was going home. And, um, you know, I think that it was a hard transition for, for all of us, especially for me. But what I loved about Ceres is that um, Ceres brought together people that had really diverse backgrounds, but that had really been boot camped, for lack of a better word, um, in the real world and working on tough issues. Um, you know, people with experience in D.C. tended to be very attractive, not just to Ceres, but to any organization I've worked for since leaving Washington, D.C. Um, I think time in D.C., um, you know, and and you might agree, uh, is, is, is seen really at a premium um, because of the environment, because of the pace, because of the networks that you build. And, and so it was a bit jarring and, and uh, took me a while to adjust coming back home. But what made it easier is that I immediately was able to find a network of other people who had either spent time in D.C. or had been part of GSPM. I, I remember attending the um, the regatta at Harvard, um, you know, one summer right after returning back to Boston. And there was the GSPM, you know, a tent, um, you know, or the GW tent, excuse me, just sitting there welcoming and, and, and gathered around that tent, having snacks with a whole bunch of people who had been in D.C. and spent time there and been part of the community of GSPM. And so um, it's been really great to to not really lose that part of my of my past and really just continue to embrace it and be part of that family. Uh, next, you move on to uh, to Cone, which is a, a communications agency based in Boston that has a, a huge focus on, on corporate social responsibility that I believe was actually bought by Porter Novelli while you were there, um, which is a, another even bigger uh, global communications agency. Um, you were there first as an account director, and then you rose up as a, as a vice president and senior vice president over the course of a couple of years. Um, you'd worked for, for a bunch of different types uh, of organizations before this, but this is, I think, your first time in an, in an agency. What, what did you like about that agency setting, and how did, how did that enable you to be, to be as successful as you were at Cone and, and, and do great work there? Yes, uh, Cone, you know, Cone has a reputation in, in the marketplace for, for really being cutting edge when it comes to corporate social responsibility, leadership and communications. And that's what really attracted me to the firm. And it did become part of Port Valley while I was there, which was an amazing opportunity for the agency to continue to lead the way on a bigger and global scale in both engaging existing clients and bringing on new clients who really wanted to move beyond 
transactional, um, you know, for example, uh, sales-oriented marketing and really focus on brand building, um, loyalty, and engagement with consumers on values beyond um, just quality and price. And so um, I was thrilled to join. And, and I think the diversity of my experience in D.C. Um, and coming back to Boston, which really kind of put me in, in, in rooms with decision makers at all and from all different sectors, was really the value uh, that I added to the agency because I was able to counsel corporate clients on how to engage with NGOs and how to take a position on an issue and how to manage stakeholder expectations. And, um, and so the agency and I were an amazing fit um, for, for all of those reasons. And so I think what I, what I learned there is that, you know, being, um, being willing to take chances and uh, to believe in the power of public relations to, to change minds um, was really something that was met with great enthusiasm by every client that I ever worked with um, across sectors. So CSR is obviously, you know, a big thing that a lot of businesses and corporate leaders are talking a lot about, investing a lot of money in. And, you know, it's something that you've taught about uh, at GSPM. Why do you think CSR is, is so important? And how can brands ensure that it goes beyond, you know, just getting good press for their companies? Uh, and that, you know, making sure that these efforts uh, actually create real impact in the world? Yeah, my first experience in corporate social responsibility was um, leading communications at the Fair Labor Association during the investigation of Apple supplier Foxconn, and which was a very, very high-profile investigation. And um, you know, I think at, at the time was really kind of part of the next phase of what corporate social responsibility looks like. It's not just about you ask why why companies are investing so much in that space and continue to talk about it so much. It's really because I think there there around the time that I was part of the Apple discussions and and around that time um, watching corporate so, social responsibility evolve um, was really because it's it's good business um, to take care of your supply chain, to know where your products are coming from, to really focus on traceability and transparency. Um, more and more consumer expectations of brands are such that they expect brands to reflect the values that they hold and that they would teach their own families. And so as more and more attention began to shift from a consumer perspective into corporate social responsibility and expectations of brands we're really starting to evolve rapidly in the age of social media and in the age of, you know, increasing media attention on issues like labor and human rights abuses in factory supply chains. Um, I think consumers are becoming more aware and brands uh, need to engage their consumers consistently and authentically. And so it's really a no-brainer, although to, to live it at the time um, was very, you know, uncertain and, and I, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. So I can say now with confidence that it was really part of an evolution on the consumer side um, as brands started to realize and, and come to terms with expectations of consumers were really rapidly changing and they could not just create great products and offer great services. They had to do so in a way that respected people on the planet. In 2018, uh, you had to FIRST, which is a nonprofit that focuses on inspiring young people's interest in participation in science and technology, as I said at the top. Uh, and you're there as their, their director of brand strategy. Why did, why did you feel like that was the right next step for you after Cone? And, and, and what would you say was the most rewarding part of your time there since I know you're you're in the process of now transitioning to a new role um, what would you say has been the most rewarding uh, part of your time with first 
Well, first robotics was a client was my first client when I joined Cone. So um, I was hooked from day one. And when I got to know what the organization uh, was really all about, it was founded by Dean Kamen 30 years ago to inspire young people to, um, of course, appreciate um, science, technology, engineering and math but more importantly, have the skills they need to innovate and solve problems. And so um, after working with FIRST as a client for three years, um, I was asked to help support engaging the Walt Disney Company and expanding our partnership and launching a partnership to help reach uh, over 600,000 young, young people in underserved and underrepresented communities around the world, especially young women, and making sure that no matter who you are or where you come from, that you have access to um, the types of skill skill building activities and support structure that you need to be successful in life, no matter what you choose to do after high school. And so I was so inspired by that mission, and I had had children of my own during my time at the agency. And it became, you know, the, the thing that was really getting me out of bed in the morning. You know, I had other great clients, of course, uh, for the record. But um, joining first at that time really gave me the opportunity to work to build um, a, a partnership with a company that really shared our values. So the Walt Disney Company and First joined forces um, two years ago um, as part of the Star Wars Force for Change philanthropic initiative to bring opportunity to those young people around the world. And so um, I won't say that I, I, I left the agency for the chance to geek out and work with Mark <laughs> Hamill and other Star Wars, um, other Star Wars characters. Um, and celebrities, uh, but it was certainly it certainly sweetened the deal. So um, I, I was able to really build a groundbreaking and first of its kind partnership with that organ with that company, um, and and so um, you know that brought me to first, and and we've been so successful in achieving our goals on that partnership, um, and we'll be working our working together for a second year um, now. And so the results are just um, outstanding. We've we've brought more opportunity to the places we said we would. And and during a global pandemic, we've really been able to um, to see the impact of our work in action. We have um, high school robotics teams that are around the world building ventilators and building um, robots to deliver groceries and 3D printing face shields. Um, and so it's just amazing to see the impact that this organization has had globally. Um, and, and the highlight of my career by far has been this experience and especially uh, building and executing the, the Walt Disney Partnership. As a huge Star Wars fan, I'm, I have to say I'm incredibly jealous. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> if you were to look back, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, um, what would you hope to be able to say that you were able to leave behind? as a result of all this work you've done, all this work that you're, that you're doing, that you're going to do moving forward. We spend so much of our lives at work and you're obviously a very you know, purpose-driven person. Um, what, do you, what would you hope to be able to say 10 or 15 years down the road that, that, that you were able to do or be able to leave behind as a result of everything that you've done in your career? You know, Steve, I mean, it, that's an existential question in some ways, but in, in other ways, it's something I thought a lot about um, because I have, you know, worked in, in so many different roles and capacities. Um, and so back to my earlier point where for me, this isn't about working for one organization or one brand um, and, and feeling rewarded and impactful that way. Um, for me, it's really around, have I been able to to teach and demonstrate other people who want to work in public relations 
or communications and marketing, that we can have a seat at the most uh, important tables on the most important issues, and that we are much more and can be much more if we want to be than selling products and services, than spinning things, right? Um, we can be more than telling stories for the sake of it. How can we use the skills that we've learned to drive change and change the way people think about things like, um, you know, racial justice, inequality? How can we change the way people think about labor and human rights and global supply chains? If one, you know, 25-year-old in D.C. can be thinking that big, you know, I think that, that there are so many more um, young people who are thinking that way, especially now. And so, um, you know, to answer your question, I think there's not one legacy that I would say or one thing that I'd like to leave behind except the point to prove um, and to and to give other young people and students of public relations and strategic um, uh, campaign planning uh, to prove to them that you can actually do those things and you can see the results of, of your contribution to society, um, not just in the day to day, but much beyond. You know, as a uh, as a career communications professional, I just have to say amen. Amen to that answer. Um, <laughs> Trust, trust in institutions is, is at an all-time low, uh, particularly among young people. You can look at you know, any, any survey. You can see whether it's government or corporate America, um, you know, basically any institution in American life, um, fo folks are just very distrustful. Um, what advice would you give to a young person? And obviously you give a lot of advice to young people in your role as a teacher, uh, professor. What, would, what, what advice would you give to a young person about why they should bother to get involved in any of this, in government or in business, communications, and, and, and if they do decide that, they, that this is a thing they should be involved in, how can they find their own voice or their own path or their own lane through which they can, they can contribute and participate and make a difference? Yeah, I mean, to, to invoke a bit of a cliche, um, you know, it's not, I think there, there is a mistrust of government and organizations and companies, and there should be, right? We have over and over again been shown why we can't trust an entity, but we can trust people. And so, you know, what I, what I try to explain, um, especially from a marketing lens, is that this is really about the relationships you build and being able to move individuals. When we think about individuals or, excuse me, when we think about companies or organizations or government as a amorphous just blob of, of people, right, that, that are on track to, towards something that we can't control, um, of course, we would run the other way, right? So I have to believe that there, this is really about the collection of individuals that make up these organizations and make up these brands and make up these, um, you know, government entities. And you can change people's minds. You can impact their behavior. You can build relationships with them, um, you know, even if you disagree with those individuals' points of view. So um, I think that the point of advice is find the individuals that you can change. Find the individuals that can help you along your way. Um, you know, I, from my first job, um, you know, after Lockheed Martin, really began to look for mentorship in earnest. And, you know, whether it was the, my direct supervisor or um, a professor at George Washington University, um, you know, the Professor Parnell, who directs the Strategic Public Relations Program as part of GSPM, has been a mentor of mine now for 10 years. I still call him before I make a decision about a, a job opportunity. <laughs> um, and so I would say that this is really about getting to know individuals, finding people that you can change and that can change you.
Last question. There are a lot of opinions about uh, what makes for a successful career. And as someone who's in the middle of a successful career, I'd love to get your take. Uh, in your experience, what have you found to be most important? What you know, or who you know, or is it some combination of both? It's absolutely a combination of both. Um, but, you know, I think that especially when you're living in a place like D.C., it, it, you know, I think it's easy to think it really comes down to only who you know. And so I agree and I, I think one piece of advice I always give is not to burn any bridges and to stay close with those people, not just those people who you think can help you long term, but those people who you identify with and who you've enjoyed working with and who you want to stay in touch with genuinely. And so I think it's a combination of both, but it really comes down to being willing and able to take risk. Um, you know, if you, if you think too long about charting your career path and try to come up with every step along the way, um, you know, that might work for some people, but it didn't work for me. And, I, and you can be just as successful, if not more successful, um, if you follow, you know, one straight path in your career or if you, you experiment and you take risk and you really enjoy it. Um, and, and don't worry about checking all the boxes to reach some sort of executive level position somewhere. You can get to any position you want, through any path you want, if you try hard enough. And, uh, you know, as corny as that sounds, Steve, <laughs> um, it's really something that, you know, I see happening every single day. Wise words from a wise man. Aaron Pickering, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, join us today, today for sharing, uh, sharing the lessons that you've learned and your experience. And, and we really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Steve. Great to be with you. Take care.